0: You're listening to Rabbi Arya Wulby, Director of Torch, the Torah Outreach Resource Center of Houston. This is the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. I want to talk today about the Seder, the Pesach Seder, talk about the Haggadah, talk about this is the most important, most integral part of all of Judaism is this one holiday where we talk about the Seder, where we talk about the exodus from Egypt throughout the Seder, where we drink four cups of wine. There's a reason for each one of the things. that There are thousands of different nuggets that we can point out about this one night, which is going to be Friday night next week, not this coming week, the following week. Additionally, there's two Seders. in, In the Diaspora, outside of Israel, we have two days of Passover, of the first days of Passover, so it's not only going to be on uh, Friday night; it's also going to be on Saturday night, and it it is going to be an opportunity for us to connect with our heritage, with our relationship with the Almighty, on, in a very, very, very special way. So, let's talk. Let's start from the beginning. What is the mitzvah to have a seder? Everyone knows about the Passover seder. We eat matzah. What is the mitzvah? So, the Torah tells us in Exodus, you should tell your child, you should tell your children about the Exodus from Egypt. There is a special mitzvah in the Torah that we need to talk about the miracles that we experienced on our Exodus from Egypt. So, we know we have many, many celebrations in our calendar. We have July 4th, and we have Memorial Day, and we have many, many special days like Labor Day, right? Unbelievable opportunities for a day off right so is passover just a day off or is passover a memorial day or is passover a day where we can re-experience the exodus our sages teach us that the exact same powers that were in the world at the time of the exodus are in the world every single year at that time so just like on yom kippur is a time of atonement On Yom Kippur, why is there a time of atonement? Because Moses received atonement for the Jewish people for the sin of the golden calf on Yom Kippur on the 10th day of the month of Tishrei. So every year on that day, God says, you come and ask for forgiveness, I give you forgiveness. You ask, you say you did something wrong. You ask for atonement, given, done. Because that day has special powers. Same thing as with every single Jewish holiday. Passover is a time of absolute freedom. It's when we went from bondage, when we went from limitation to being unlimited, to having all the potential in the world. And that's something we need to talk about. So we're going to get to it in a second. But there's a very interesting thing that we see that's unique in Judaism, I was once uh, co-officiating an event. I may have shared this before. I was once co-officiating an event. uh, We were both doing the invocation for for a big event. There were about 1,200 people there for the Holocaust Museum uh, dinner. And I was doing it together with a priest. And uh, he had a big big, uh, congregation that he led. I think he had 8,000 members. And uh here I am, Rabbi Walby from Torch. You know, what do you see? He asks, we go to meet for coffee, so we can plan out exactly what we're each gonna say. So he says, What do you do? I said, I do education. So he says, So what are you teaching your congregation? So I said, I don't have a congregation, but we do education in all these different congregations, and we, you know, we teach Torah, that's what we do. He says, what are you teaching right now? So I said, actually, it's very interesting. Right now, we're in the middle of doing a question and answer series. So I turned to him, and I forgot who I was talking to. I said, do you ever do in your congregation question and answer series? And he pauses, and he looks at me. He says, you forget who you're talking to. He says, in our religion, there are no questions. I said, really? I said, it's it's so, so ironic, because in Judaism... Everything is about questions. You open up a page of Talmud and there's question and question and question and question. And then you have to prove it and question again and question again. Because when we are focused as a people, as a religion, when we are focused on truth, then it's all about the questions. We want to know exactly what happened. Oh, is there any other opinion about that? Is there any any other... And we go back and forth. You look at a page of Talmud, you have hundreds and hundreds of questions. It's all about the questions because that's how you get to the truth. So on the Pesach Seder, you'll notice that there's the Manishtana. What's the Manishtana? It's asking the four questions. And we know we have the four sons. There's many, many themes that we'll see if we have a chance to go through the entire Agata. There are many different themes. We ask the questions, and we encourage our children to ask the questions. From a young age, they should learn. You see something, ask, ask, ask. You want to know what's really special? Is that there are many, many things that we do during the Seder that we just do to awaken the question within the person. It's really odd. You know, we wear a special white coat, overcoat, uh, you know, a thin. it's called a kittel. If you're searching it online, it's a K-I-T-T-E-L. It's a kittel, It's a special white white coat that we wear. We wear it on Yom Kippur and we wear it at the Seder. Because it's a sign of, of freedom. It's a sign that we're just released of all. So just like on, on Yom Kippur we're saying, we're released of all of our sins. We're white. So too we're released of all of our bondage. We wear this special coat. You ask... Why do we wear the special coat? Yeah, there's many reasons behind it. The main reason is so that people will ask. I'd see you every Friday night. You're not wearing that white overcoat. Why why are you wearing it at the Seder night? Oh, great, great. You're asking a question. That's great. And we do many things throughout the Seder. Why? So that we ask the questions. That's the purpose. The purpose of the night is to ask questions. Break out of your habits and your routines. Well, that's just the way it is. No, this is the opportunity to ask the questions. Don't take anything as like, hey, that's what they said. That's what we do. No, ask. You know, one of the things that I encourage all of my students in all the classes that I teach, I say if you hear anything that I say, and even if you like it or don't like it, it doesn't make a difference. Ask for the source. Ask for the source. So where, where do you get that from? You know why? Because when you, when, you, when you zero in on the source, that's how you know you're getting truth. Don't just say, oh, it's a rabbi. I'm not going to question where the rabbi got it from. <laughs> right? In Judaism, you always question, what's your source? Give me a source. How do I know that I can take it on face value? You have to look at the source. All right? Rabbis are not allowed to make up rules. Rabbis don't have any authority to make up rules. So, at the Seder is where we start. The foundation of Judaism is that Pesach Seder. We start with asking questions. So, you know, it's very interesting. Right after we ask uh, the four questions, we say, "Avadim We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, but Hashem took us out with an outstretched arm, and we go through the whole story. The end of that first paragraph, it says, The more someone tells about the Exodus from Egypt, the more he deserves to be praised. Or the more enriched he'll be. Our sages tell us an amazing thing. What does that mean? That phrase. The more you talk about the miracles of Egypt, the greater off, the better off you'll be. The happier you'll be. The more loved love you'll feel in your life. So... If you had something special that happened to you in your life. Anybody here have something a show of hands? Anybody have something special that happened? You were in a car accident and you were speared, right? You were saved. You had something tragic happen and you were, and, and you, you came out of it okay. Right? We all had something that, right? Now, what do we live with that experience every day? Do we remember it, bring it up every single day? Well, if you do, you're a very lucky person. Because every single day you'll have the opportunity to be happy and be thankful and be grateful to the Almighty for saving your life and for giving you another lease on life. The more you talk about the miracles that you've experienced, the greater and more enriched your life will be. Because you're not going to allow even one moment to go by without feeling that gratitude and appreciation. That's the purpose. This Seder is kolamar bilisapar. The more we talk about the Exodus from Egypt, the more details we get into. like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. Every detail. We need to go into great depths. I've been for weeks already working on the Seder, uh, preparing, going through the Haggadah, and it's not enough. I feel like I, I just don't have enough time to go through it all. It's like so many details. The more we look into it, the more we, the more we ask questions, the more loved we will feel. So, I want to share with you an amazing story I read yesterday. There was a man who, during the Holocaust, um, was able to get on one of the uh, the Kinder transports to England. And he was taken from Eastern Europe, taken to England. And then eventually he made it from England to Israel. And then in Israel, he committed his life to running a congregation, a synagogue. And he made sure that the synagogue was always um, operating. They always had a minion. And this man was not a learned Jew by any stretch of the imagination. And after he passed away after he passed away um one of the rabbis in the community went to his to to visit his children and asked his children you know your father was not a very learned man how did he merit that all of his children grew up to be great rabbis great sages he was a simple guy but he you know how did, he, how did he merit to this? So the son who was sitting Shiva, who was uh, mourning his father's passing, said, I want to tell you a story. He says, one day I asked my father that same question. I said, you know, you're not a very learned man. How did you merit to live an observant lifestyle? How did you merit to uh, have children who went in the ways of Torah study and, and, and observance? How did you merit to that? See, he said, I want you to know something. He says, when I was getting on that train, the kinder transport, he said, my father was supposed to come with me. But we had a problem with his passport. So my father said, just go on the train, you go. And he says, that was the last time I saw my father. I got on the train. And I'm looking through the window. And I see my father. And suddenly my father sees the train starts moving. He starts screaming four words. Be a good Jew. In English it's just, you know. Zayag, uh, uh, Zayt agute yid." Be a good Jew. And as the train is going, the father starts running along the train on the platform and he's screaming on top of his lungs, he's screaming, be a good Jew, be a good Jew, be a good Jew. That's it. That's the last thing he ever heard from his father. So he said, yeah, I'm, I'm not a learned Jew. But I focused my entire life from the minute I left that platform on that train I said I'm committing my life to being a good Jew he said I don't know a lot about things but I knew that one place I can go is be by a synagogue and at the synagogue I'm going to make sure that they have the prayer books I'm going to make sure that they have a minion I'm going to make sure that I'm going to try to do everything I can to be as good a Jew as I can So, the rabbi I heard this, I saw the story from, says Pesach Seder, at the Seder, is the opportunity for us to demonstrate what to our children, to our descendants, our grandchildren, what it means to be a good Jew. To dedicate our lives, to dedicate our time, our night, to being as committed as we can, to talk as much as we can to be as patient as we can, to be as prepared as we can for this incredible evening. And this is, you know, we've had over the years, due to some personal uh, issues, matters, uh, this year, you know, unfortunately, we're not going to be having uh, any guests at our Pesach Seder. But for many years, we had people from far and near coming to join us in our Seder. And I always try to emphasize that this night is the children's night. It's great that we have many guests around our table. But over here, this is one night a year that I have a special mitzvah, special commandment to talk with my children. Everyone's welcome to listen. Everyone is welcome to participate. But this is a parent-child opportunity, a parent-child mitzvah, So let's talk this out. Let's talk about all the questions you might have. And this hopefully be a springboard to an entire year of, yes, learning together and growing together and asking questions to one another, challenging precepts and thoughts. Just because, again, we said before, just because your daddy said it doesn't mean it's true. Even if he's a rabbi. Let's look at it in the source. Let's ask. So, we start the Seder. There are a bunch of things that we need to have prepared before we go into the Seder. By the way, the Pesach Seder is one of the two most celebrated Jewish holidays by Jews from far and near. It's Passover and Hanukkah. And we need to, it, it's the one holiday where the where the, the, our sages tell us specifically to prepare ourselves before the holiday. You can't just show up at the Seder. You say, I'm here. I brought my Maxwell house. I'm good to go. Right? That's not enough. You've got to look at it in advance. And hopefully we'll have the the, the opportunity to do that tonight today okay so there are a couple of technical things that need to be prepared before we go to the seder number one is wine if you're able to afford nice wine like really nice wine a nice cabernet a red wine preferred we'll see this later you can have wine enough for four cups of wine for all of the participants around the table yes children as well children they can suffice with grape juice. If someone has any difficulty with wine as well, they can use grape juice. And uh, again, if you're able to afford a nicer grape juice, a nicer wine, then it's best to do that. Because over here, we're we're like royalty. We're royalty. Now, it's a very important thing when we talk about wine. Uh there's no mitzvah for us to be inebriated and drunk on Pesach night. So there's no, no obligation to do that. Um, but because we are royalty, we don't fill up our own glasses. You don't fill up your own cup of wine. You have someone else fill it up for you, and you fill up someone else's. And the idea behind it is that just like a king and a prince... Don't fill up their own glasses. They have a butler that fills it up for them. We're all royalty. On this night, we're all royalty. And therefore, someone fills it up. Everyone fills it up for someone else. And they have their own filled up by someone else. Okay. So that's the wine. We're going to say, we're going to drink four cups of wine. Because we're going to sanctify the day of Pesach. We're going to sanctify this incredible moment of the Seder. Four times throughout the night. Now, just an interesting thing about the number four. uh, There's a basic four-step process for anything that grows from the ground. You have to plow. You have to plant. You have to harvest. And you have to consume. That four-step process is the process in which we grow. When we grow as human beings, that's the four-step process that we take. If you look at any page of Talmud, hold on a second here. If you look at any page of Talmud, you'll notice that in in the original text, there's always four lines. There's always four lines ahead of the Talmud. This is the main Talmud. Here's the commentaries on the side. There's four lines on top. You know why there are four lines on top? Our sages teach us. Because in order to learn something and to take it all in and to have it absorb into your being, you have to learn it four times. Four makes something. You learn. You go to a new... uh, You're learning a new computer program. You're gaining a new habit. You got to learn it four times in order to make it part of your now, to make it part of your existence will take longer, than more than four times. But to just get the hang of it, will take four times. Our t- sages tell us that that's why the Talmud has those four lines on top, so that we don't turn a page before we review it four times. We have the four cups of wine to instill within us something really special. We're going to talk about it in one minute. The next thing that we need to have prepared is the matzos, the matzah. If someone can get matzah, right, it's best to have for the seder matzah that is made by hand, the round ones, the hand matzos. Those are finer than the ones that are that are made out of a machine. The square ones are the machine matzah. So, if so, if one is able to have a, a hand matzah, three of them for each night. Um, that is that is uh, very special. Next is the Ka'ara. The Ka'ara is the Seder plate. And uh, the six items that are on that Seder plate. So we have the the shank bone, the roasted bone, right? We have the roasted egg. We have the Mara. And we have two kinds of bitter vegetables that we could use. We have the haroses, which is a mixture of of uh, fruits with spices and red wine. We have carpas, which is a vegetable, non-bitter vegetable. Uh, so those six items together make the seder plate. I have just a drawing here, if you'd like, in this Hagada, right, of some of the things. This is one of my favorite Hagadas. This is the Art Scroll Youth Hagada. Highly recommend this. Really illustrated beautifully. Uh, it's not only for children. It'll give us tremendous insight. Uh, it has nice ideas in it. Okay, so now we have four more things. Is Salt water. Best to prepare these before Pesach, like the morning, the afternoon before Pesach, before the Seder night. Candles. Candles need to be lit, especially this year. Um, the candles are lit before Shabbos because it's Friday night, so we can't light it at the Seder. We have to light it earlier. Then we have the cups of wine, the cups that are going to be filled with wine. Make sure that everyone has them and that they're all rinsed out beforehand. And then the cup of Elijah. The cup of Elijah. So... We said that Passover is a time of redemption. In the month of Nisan, the month that we just started yesterday was Rosh Chodesh, was the first day of the month, the new moon. One of the ideas is that the Jews are compared to the moon. Because we have ups and downs constantly. And as a people that have ups and downs, we have to be a light to the world to show it's okay. It's okay. You fall down, you get right back up. You wane, you become stronger. You wane again, and you become stronger again. We need to have resilience. It's interesting that all the Jewish holidays are always in the middle of the month, exactly in the middle of the month, when it's at the strongest point, when it's in its full capacity. So, it's very interesting that there was once a Hasidic master... Who heard one of the children say, when the father comes home from shul, this is talking about Friday, about the, fir- the first night of Passover, when he comes home from shul, he should say kiddush right away so that the children shouldn't fall asleep. So the Hasidic master, the rabbi, heard this and he says, Who taught you this? He says, My rabbi is so and so. The next day, This uh, Hasidic master meets this rabbi. And he says, did you teach the school children to say that when the father comes home from synagogue, he should immediately make kiddush, he should immediately recite the blessing on the wine so that the children shouldn't fall asleep? He says, yes, indeed. He said, why didn't you teach them the rest of it? The rest of that song, the rest of that teaching? Which is so that they should ask the questions. That's the most important part of the whole Seder. He says, and let me tell you what this really means, on a deeper, much deeper level. He says, what this really means is when the Father comes home from shul, meaning when we come home from synagogue, and our Father in heaven is there with us, and is saying, Ah! My children are preparing their tables so beautifully. They're ready to be there at their Seder with royalty, with wine. Let's quickly, let's quickly do what's called Kiddush. Kiddush means to sanctify, to make them holy, to make it holy, the day of of the holiday holy, but to make the Jewish people holy. Where the Almighty comes and sees we're here to perform the mitzvah of the Seder, Do it quickly so that the kids don't fall asleep. What does that mean? We are God's children. We are God's children. We need to remember that we're asking God, don't let us fall asleep. Don't let us be in a situation where we think that everything in life is good. That You know, sadly, in the past week and a half, there were 11 people murdered in Israel by terrorists. Are we free people? Are we not in exile? We're still in exile. We have to realize that. We have to remember that. We can't fall asleep. We can't stop asking questions. It used to be that people would be like, Hashem, why, why, why? They would ask the question. Keep that relationship alive. But with the generation And we have incredible abundance, incredible wealth in our generation. People can stop asking questions. It's not a good thing. Don't let them fall asleep, God. Wake us up. Wake us up so that we are closer to you. Wake us up so we can bring that redemption before we fall asleep. That's part of our prayer. So, the first part of the, of, of the Seder is Kadesh. Kadesh means to say Kiddush, to recite the Kiddush, like we do every Friday night and Shabbos morning. We take a glass of wine and we sanctify the day. Our sages tell us is we begin the Seder with Kadesh to remind us that we are sanctified as well. You are holy. Every single person. You are holy. You have incredible ability. The first thing you need is encouragement. You're great. You're awesome. You're holy. This is a time to feel that holiness. This is a time to feel how God is is taking us by our hands, in His hands, and lifting us up. Kadesh. Realize how holy you are. Someone could say, Me? I'm not holy. I'm not a rabbi. I don't do so many mitzvahs, perhaps. Perhaps I don't perform things the way they should be. Perhaps I eat things that are not holy. Remember that every single Jew is holy. Kadesh, you're holy. Get into the frame of mind of you are a holy person. You're a child of the Almighty. And He's going to take you and lift you up tonight. Get ready. We don't come to the seder in despair. We don't come to the seder with doubts. We come to the seder realizing, "Wow, I am royalty." I may have gone astray throughout the year, but now is seder time. At the seder, I realize the first thing we start off with is push it into high gear. I'm holy. Now, ah, oh, I'm holy. Now I can sanctify the day. Now, just an interesting note to point out in your uh, preparation is that this year, it's not an ordinary year because it's also Friday night. So if you look at the Kiddush and the wording of the Kiddush, it's going to be different this year than it typically is at a Seder night because we add in the, the inserts for Shabbat. So we'll start with Vayichulu. And then we'll say we'll make the blessing on the wine. And then we'll praise Hashem for this day. Now the second Seder will also be different. Because although it's not Shabbos, we still have to say Havdalah. We have to have the distinction between the holy and the mundane. But now we're going from holy to holy. but We have to d- distinguish between Shabbat and the rest of the days of the week. So we add a different part. We make sure we have a candle so we can... We can distinguish between those two parts. And on both nights of the Seder, we say something which is very, very, very special. Very, very special prayer. While holding our glass with the greatest joy in our hearts, we thank God for giving us life to perform this mitzvah tonight. (laughs) Shehechianu v'kiyamanu We thank Hashem for giving me now. Do you know the greatest moment on earth, the greatest moment of your life, is right now. And what we we do, not only at the Seder night, we should do this every minute, is thank Hashem for now. Thank you, Hashem. Thank you, Hashem, for giving me this opportunity right now. to be here, to celebrate, to be here with my family and friends. Shehech There are many, many great rabbis and sages and people who are able to connect to this in a real level, who can hardly make it through this blessing without breaking out in tears. Thanking God for giving us now. Yeah, it could be I had many problems this year. It could be in the future I'm worried about many things. But thank you for now. And that's how we start off the Seder night. So that's Kaddish. Next is Urchaz. Urchaz is where we wash our hands. Twice on our right hand. Twice on our left hand. As if we were washing to eat bread. Or matzah. We don't eat bread at the Seder. Now it's very interesting. This whole idea of matzah. You know... You have many flavorings you can put into many foods. You can have meat that has flavored like this and flavored like that. You can have any pastry, you know, with chocolate, vanilla, many different flavors. You can even have bread that has all these different flavorings. Matzah has none. Matzah is completely devoid of any flavor. It just is. You know, Sometimes we need to realize that even food that doesn't taste good can still nourish us. But sometimes, and all too frequently, we get carried away because we like the good food. So we're like, I don't like that so much. I'm going to just put it away or throw it out. You know, I'm going to take the food that I like, the food that, right? You know what we do on the Seder? We realize we're getting carried away this little thin matzo bread this little thin I don't know, I, I happen to like it, right but but it's not exactly a delicacy, you don't go to a restaurant so like, I would like the premium matzo, right <laughs> Right? that's not what we typically ask for, we ask for a nice fluffy bread our sages tell us you want to know what the fluffy bread is the fluffy bread is really matzo with a whole lot of arrogance where it gets all puffed up. Our sages tell us, you know what that puffiness is? That's what leads us to sin. That's what leads us to go astray. What we need to do is remove away that arrogance. Let's get back to the basics. All we need is nourishment. We have just that matzah. Take that matzah and enjoy that matzah. Realize that God gives us everything that we need. It's right there. And take it all in. Simplicity. And it's a dichotomy because, you know, we're talking about royalty and then we eat bread of poor people. Right? It, It really, together we have to realize that both of them together is part of our royalty. Is realizing where we come from as well. You know that in Deuteronomy there's a special commandment. A special commandment in the Torah to accept the Egyptians who want to join us. Egyptians come to the Jewish people and they're like, "Uh, we'd like to convert. Like, "Uh, excuse me? (laughs) After 210 years of enslaving us, now you're coming to to convert to be part of the Jewish people? What's wrong with you? Get out of here. No. says, don't take revenge. Don't be mean to them. You know why? Because one of the most important characteristics of the Jewish people is recognizing the good that you've benefited. And when we were starving in the land of Canaan, and Jacob comes down with his children to Egypt, you know what they said? Please, come, we'll give you food. Oh, they welcomed you in. Now you're going to throw stones at them? Yeah, but we were slaves for 210 years. They took you in. Albeit, they may not have taken you in and maintained you in the greatest way. But they took you in, lovingly. You owe them forever. Because gratitude and appreciation does not have an expiration date. Arrogance, we said. The puffiness. We feel like, oh, look at me. Remember where you come from. Remember who you benefited from. Get back to the basics. We have that matzah. Matzah. Keep it simple. So we wash our hands. We wash our hands. It's an amazing thing. Why do we wash our hands and not eat the matzah? What do we typically do every Friday night? What do we do every meal? What do we do every single meal? We make kiddush. We sanctify the day. Right? Of Shabbat and holiday. And then after drinking the wine, we take out the challah, the bread. And we make the blessing on the bread. And of course we wash our hands before doing so. Here we're washing our hands and we're not eating the bread. Till later. Till later. Why is it so? Why do we do this different thing? Now again, you're going to see that many times we're going to ask these questions. Why do we do this? The first answer is to ask the questions. Great. We're going to do things differently tonight. So that everyone's like, huh? That's so weird. Why are you doing that? And the more things we're able to ask questions about, the more enriched our experience at the seder is going to be. One year when I was running the seder for um, with my children, um, I said I want I'm going to give a special prize to whoever asks more questions. And it was a competition: who can ask more questions? And it's amazing. It's amazing. The questions that you'll hear. Because we think as adults. So we ask the questions, you know, like I experienced when I was five years old, six years old, 10 years old, you know, and it's the same questions every year. No, no, no. Think with a new perspective. Get the children's questions. Ask them to ask you questions. What do you see differently tonight? Bring it out. So we wash our hands for vegetables that we're going to eat. There's a halachic reason to it, but we're not going to get into it now. But what's the idea of washing our hands? Our sages tell us something so special. Our sages tell us that washing our hands is washing away arrogance. You see, typically, we're about to eat the bread that I earned. You know, I go to work, I earn a living. This is my results. My reward is that I can eat my food. Do you know what you do before you wash your hands for the bread? You're washing away the arrogance. It's not your hands that brought you the success. It's the Almighty that brought you the success. Wash away that thought of arrogance. It's all me. It's all me. When we come to the Seder, we said we're holy people. We have to wash away our previous thoughts of us being this you know, we're so great, we're so, you know, we're holy, but wash away the arrogance. It's not all me. It's with tremendous blessing that we're able to accomplish the things that we accomplish. So then we take carpas. Now karpas is a fruit, this is the third part of the Seder. We take a small piece of a vegetable, not a bitter vegetable, and you dip it in salt water. So it's to show majesty and freedom. Paupers and slaves don't dip their vegetables. A rich life, you dip your vegetables. But why do we do this here? Sages tell us, look at, look at what you're eating. You're eating a potato. You know where the potato grows? Under the ground. Guess what? Even a lowly potato can make it onto a table of royalty even a Jew, even a person who's been living a lowly life, can be put onto the table of royalty. You can sit by the table, you have a seat here. It's to recognize that we all have a place. With the, the vegetable, what do we do? We say a blessing of Borei priadama, thanking God who creates fruit that grow from the ground. And then we go into the next part of the Seder, the fourth part, which is a very important part. We take a matzah. We take the middle matzah, I believe, right? We take the middle matzah and we crack it in half. Half of it, we put away uh, the afikoman, which is a. we take that half and we hide it for later. And now what we do is there's a custom that we teach our children to search for it. It also... Keeps them awake. They look for it. It's an opportunity for them. Many times we used to do a bargaining with our parents. We used to say, if you want back that broken piece of matzah, you got to give me something, right? And we'd ask for a set of books or a bicycle or something, you know. But the idea is, is you keep the children awake. Why do you break it? Uh, uh, uh. What's the answer? So that we shall ask. So that we shall. Ask. We're constantly doing things to remind us to ask questions. Ask Questions. It's not an ordinary night. You know what? It might be important for us not to even know the answers. Not even to talk about the answers. Just to know the answer is, so you ask the question. We're about to tell the story of slavery and how God made us free. Poor slaves never had enough to eat. Right? So they put some away for the next meal. They got a loaf of bread. They took half. They said, "Okay, in case we don't have bread later, we're putting it away." And that's what we're doing as well. We're showing. We're cracking this matzah in half, showing that we're we're back in those days now. We're getting back into that frame of mind, and we're putting away half of our meal for later. Okay, half of it we put back in the in the. Now you have three matzahs that you're going to have, which is Kohain, Levi, and Yisrael. So we take break the middle matzah and we put half of it, the smaller half, back. The bigger half we will hide for later. Okay, so now we get to the fourth, fifth part of the Haggadah, which is the main part of the Haggadah. This is called Magid. Magid means to tell the tale, to tell the story. And this story is the story of each and every one of us. It's the story of the Jewish people. But it's the story of each and every one of us. We talk about our sorrows. We talk about, you know, how we were slaves. But we also have resilience. Now, does anybody know the four questions? Right? So we start off with the four questions. Why is this night different? It's different. It's different in so many ways. Usually we eat leavened food and unleavened food. Now we eat only unleavened. Usually we eat all vegetables. Now we eat bitter, bitter herbs. Usually we dip maybe one time if we dip at all. Now we dip twice, like we said before. We're gonna dip uh, the carpas, like the right. In step number three, we dip the vegetable in salt water. Later on, we're going to dip the moror in haroses. What is haroses? I can get into this. I don't know if we have, you know, maybe soon we'll get into it. We'll get into understanding the Seder plate and how it's designed, how we how we design the Seder plate. We'll see if we have some time soon. Um, so now we dip twice. And then, typically, how do we eat? We eat sitting upright. We lean to our side sometimes. But but generally speaking, we have no specific form. Now, the whole Seder night, we're leaning to our left. The whole Seder night, we're leaning to our left. It's different. We see there are constantly things that are different this night. Why is it different? My dear friends, what's the answer? So that you ask the questions. We have to get into the habit of asking questions. So we go right from there, from asking the questions. And we have our children, um, they prepare these questions in school already. But we want them to say it out loud. And uh, we try to reward them for it. Uh, make the, give them an incentive. Sometimes children are shy, especially when you have guests around the table. They're not, but again, you have to remember the mitzvah is for the children. The mitzvah is for the children. Have them ask those questions. You're going to give them good answers soon, but the questions are important. So how do we answer? We answer. We start off saying Avadim Hayinu We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and God took us out with an outstretched arm. And if God had not taken us out, we would still be there today. And we go through, we talk about the four sons. It's very interesting. Before we talk about the four sons, and, and what, what, what is this relevant? What is four sons relevant to the Seder night? We're talking about how we were slaves in Egypt. and Now we start talking about education. We have different types of children. Each one of us, you know, uh, some of our children are bright children. Some of us don't know how to ask questions, and some of some of us have, you know, we can we can have a child who's wicked. What what in the world is going on over here? This is a class on education suddenly in middle of the seder plate in the middle of the seder night? What is going on? Yes, Leslie. Children can ask more questions than four, definitely. Four is just a springboard. If you look right before the four questions, the four sons, you'll notice that it says, Baruch HaMakom, blessed is God, who is everywhere. Baruch Hu, blessed is He. Baruch Shonatan Torah Amor Yisrael, blessed is the one who gave us the Torah. And blessed is He. So we say four times blessed. And then we talk about the four sons. The idea is, is that each and every child is blessed. You might think that sitting around your Seder, you may have a child. Ah, this one is, no, 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 no. You don't push anyone away. Every child is blessed. Every child has potential. There is no such thing as a child who's too distant. Even the Jewish people were in Egypt. We're at the 49th gate of impurity. They weren't too wicked for God to pull them out. God didn't say, you know what? That's my wayward son. Leave him alone. Forget him. Let him just stick with the Egyptians and and goodbye. I'll find the new people. God didn't give up on us. God didn't say, you're not worthy of of, of, of an exodus. God said, You're also blessed. You're blessed. I'm going to invest in you. And this is an example for each and every one of us. You have children. Thank God God has blessed me with seven beautiful, amazing children. You know what? They're not all easy. They're not all the same. They're not all textbook students. But they're all blessed. And they're all deserving of our time and our patience and listening to their questions and listening to their problems. Take this night as an opportunity. Bring them together. Bring them close. If, God forbid, any of us have a child who is estranged or distanced, this is an opportunity for us to call them up and say, hey, I'm sorry. Come come to my Seder. Let's enjoy a good night together with delicacies. Let's bring this unity together. Bring us all together. There's no such a thing as a child who's not worth our time. Every single child is valuable. Every single child is blessed. And we need to find the way to their heart. In fact, we go through these four children and we see that each one, the approach is different. You know why it's different? Because each child is different. And the way in which you talk to different children is different. Well, uh, Mark, you, you're right that we say that that um, you, you said over here that the, he's excluded. He's not excluded because he's right here at our seder. If he was excluded completely, right, the wicked child wouldn't be appearing in our seder uh, on our seder table. But we still, we mentioned the Chacham, the wise child, and the evil child, and the simple child, and the child who doesn't even know how to ask. All of them are special. Baruch. They're all blessed. God loves them all. And we as parents have that obligation to keep on loving our children. Keep on loving them. Love them, and love them, and love them. It used to be, I remember this from my grandfather, Rabbi Shlomo Wolby, of blessed memory. He would tell me that today, in this generation, the only way you can educate children is with love. It used to be you can you can uh, you can teach with a stick. You don't have that anymore. Not in this generation. In this generation, is only one language for education, and that's love. And the more we love our children, unconditionally. Yes, we have to give guidance. Yes, we have to you know, direct them. Always with love. That's the number one ingredient. So that's what we see here. Now we go to a remembrance of every single challenge the Jewish people experienced. We have over here, I have here on my desk, I keep a list of every single challenge Expulsion, every single uh, mass murdering of Jews for the past 2,000 years. I have a log. Do you know that there hasn't been 10 years in the past 2,000 years that hasn't had a terrorist attack on the Jewish people or a, a Holocaust against the Jewish people? There hasn't been ten years where the Jewish people just like yeah, and then you have the bombing in Argentina, the JCC. There's always something going on. What is going on with the Jewish people? What's with us? Remember one thing. There was a promise that was given to Abraham that God says, "I will protect you." Right? It is that promise to Abraham that protected our fathers and us. Because more than one nation has tried to destroy us. In every generation, they try to destroy us. But God always saves us from them. There has never been a single generation where they didn't try to annihilate the Jewish people. Now, we live in the United States of America. Most of us, I think. Right. We have an, an amazing, an amazing country to be very, very grateful for. Because here we go, I'm sitting here in the Torah center teaching Torah. Do you know what would happen if I was in Rome teaching Torah back then? All of our heads would be rolling on the streets. Because we're learning Torah. And the same happened in England. And the same happened in France. And the same happened in Germany. And the same happened in Russia. And you name the country, we've been executed there. And we've had expulsions. And we've been annihilated. And yet, every time we keep coming back. And today you look at the Jewish communities, they, they keep on growing. It's unreal. You have today Torah study going on in the world like there hasn't been in almost ever. You go to Lakewood, New Jersey, where you have tens of thousands of people studying Torah all day. You have a community that's growing, it, it keeps on growing and growing and growing. You're talking about, like, it's like cities upon cities growing there. New York City, the explosion of Torah there. You go to Jerusalem. We have in one yeshiva over 10,000 students sitting and learning. Every corner is another synagogue and another yeshiva. The more they keep on trying to kill us, the more we grow, the more we flourish. We have to remember this this Seder night. Yeah, we are the target. Do you know why we are the target? Why are we the target? Because we have Accountability. We have a responsibility to be a light unto the nations. Not to shy away from that responsibility. When we shy away, the nations of the world say, "Hey, you're supposed to be the example for us. You're supposed to show us how to live a life. You have the Torah. You receive the Torah. Don't, don't try to assimilate don't try to become like the Gentiles. You have to be an example. You're held accountable. And when we try to assimilate it and say, we're all just one. They say, no, 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 no. We're going to show you how you're different. We'll whip you into shape. The nations of the world don't have the power if God doesn't allow it. God only allows it to wake us up and remind us you're getting too comfortable. You don't realize your responsibilities. This is a reminder we have here in the middle of the Seder. We have a reminder. God is here to protect us always. He's not going to let us vanish. But we have an obligation to live up to. It's to be an example to the nations. So we come to the Seder. And we start talking about our exodus. For what did God do it? So that we be example to the nations. Not try to assimilate and be like everyone else. Our job is to be an example. That's who we are as a people. So now we continue. We bring many verses from the Torah that talk about our our, our challenges in Egypt. And then we get to the 10 plagues. Now, I want you to just take a moment when you're at your Seder respectively and just imagine what each of these 10 plagues were like. There's a lot to read up on this. But if you look at the Midrash, if you look at the commentaries and read up about it in advance, you'll find that it was impossible, impossible, to not see the hand of God through these miracles. So Moses tells Pharaoh, Pharaoh, if you don't let the Jewish people out, tomorrow, all of the water in Egypt will become blood. And just like that, all of the water in Egypt becomes blood, the whole Nile River. You're talking about every single glass of water you imagine you had a nice bottle of Ozarka water in your fridge, it's cold, you're excited to take a nice gulp of your cold water, and you look at it, it's red. What's going on here? You open up the fridge, everything is all the drinks are red. What's going on here? All the water turned into blood. Now imagine Imagine what that was. Put yourself into it for a moment. Do you know who did have water? The Jewish people had water. In fact, the the Egyptians tried to take a glass of water. They gave it to the Jewish person. It was water. They took it back. It became blood. They gave it back to them. It was water. Took it back. It became blood. They said, how about this? They gave a straw for the Jew, a straw for the Egyptian. The Jew slurped water. The Egyptian slurped blood. Very clear miracle. An amazing miracle. Power of the Almighty over everything. Realize that miracle. That's the first one is blood. The next is fardea Frogs. Again, imagine. And it says, it, it. by the way, if you look in the Torah, in Exodus, where the Torah explains each of these plagues... You'll see that it wasn't a joke. I'm not just, you know, giving you uh, a nice. I'm going to pull it out right here. I got a beautiful chumash here. I'm going to read this to you. So I'm not making up anything. You ask me the source, I'll give you the source. Okay, so we have. Okay, so here we go. We are in the second portion of uh, of Exodus. And verse number twenty, uh chapter seven, verse number twenty talks about the blood. And the fish that were in the river died and and became putrid, and the river and the Egyptians weren't able to drink any of the water. It, it goes through each of the details. Then so now you have the source. You know exactly what I'm, what I'm telling you, is not a joke. Okay. Then comes the next plague, which is the same chapter, chapter seven, verse number twenty six. And Moshe comes again again to Pharaoh and he tells him, let my people go. He says, if not, your entire Egypt will be plagued with frogs. And sure enough, where did it go? Where did the plagues go? Listen to this. And they shall come into your palace and into the room where you sleep, your bedroom, and onto your bed and into the house of your servants and among your people and into your ovens. And into your kneading bowls, imagine you're busy baking a beautiful chocolate cake. By the way, it's my birthday this week. So um, yeah, talking about cake, right? So you're busy baking my birthday cake and suddenly you start seeing something jumping inside that cake. What's going on over here? Well, it's frogs. That's not going to be a good, that's not a practical joke, Okay. Right? It's like imagine the guy comes home from work his wife prepared him a delicious favorite steak dinner and suddenly in the in the green beans in the you know in the in the rice there is frogs jumping out. I don't think that'll be a very romantic dinner. What's going on frogs everywhere everywhere in their ovens, in their foods, everything in their beds That's a devastating plague. Now, our sages tell us, and we'll see this in a minute, our sages tell us that the plague was not only the ten plagues, but rather each plague led to so many more plagues. Up to 250, according to one of the Tanahic sages, it was up to 250 plagues. You know why? Let me give you an example. The uh, boss Says to his uh, assistant, "Can you please get me a, my glass of water?" She brings him the glass of water, and it's blood. He's like, "What's this?" I asked for water. She said, "I, I get, I, I brought you water." He's like, "Well, this is not water. Does this look like water to you?" You're fired. Get out. You're fired. What happens? You think that that assistant is happy now? They go home. They start fighting with their spouse. They're upset at their children. The children go to the park. They start beating up their friends, right? You think of everything that comes out of it as a result of each plague. It's total chaos. Our sages enumerate that each plague of the 10 plagues was really many more than just one plague per. But it was was, uh, 25 times the amount of plagues up to 250 plagues that the, that the egyptians experienced okay so after we finish with all the the with the plagues that the egyptians uh experienced we start saying thank you say thank you god if you had only taken us from egypt and not punished the egyptians that would have been enough if you, right, and, and you look at all of the things, all of the Dayenu. And the Dayenu is a great song. You can find it, I'm sure, online on, on YouTube. You can find the Dayenu song. I'm sure you'll find many different renditions of it. But one of the Dayenus that really is difficult to understand is the third to the end. And that is, if God had only brought us to Mount Sinai but did not give us the Torah, Dayenu, that would be enough. It's the equivalent of saying if I'd only taken my children to the ice cream store but not gotten them ice cream it would be fine. We thank you. Thank you for taking us to the ice cream store. That doesn't make any sense at all. Why bring me to the ice cream store or the candy store and not buy me anything? Why take me to Mount Sinai and not give me the Torah? What's the purpose? Our sages tell us something so important. So important. Is that what was the purpose of Mount Sinai? Mount Sinai, the purpose was to build a relationship with God. The purpose was to build a bond with the Almighty. This is the only time in the history of the world that the Jewish people or any creation, any any nation on earth had a direct revelation from God. God. It's always been through Oso, through miracles, through wonders. But directly, God having a public national revelation, speaking to the Jewish people directly, not one individual, not one prophet, but the entire people experienced this. That's an unbelievable revelation. How are you going to encapsulate such a revelation so that 3,330 years later when we are sitting in Houston, Texas that we can bring back that same experience that they experienced back then? Our sages tell us, you know how you do that? I'm going to give you a Torah. You know, uh, Rod, you went on vacation not long ago, Right? You brought yourself a souvenir, right? You brought yourself back a souvenir from wherever you went. I remember I saw on Facebook you went on vacation someplace, right? You brought yourself back a souvenir. You go on vacation, you buy yourself a nice t-shirt, uh, Florida or Cancun or, you know, Italy. You buy a t-shirt or you buy yourself a nice coffee mug or you buy yourself a keychain. You bring some type of memorabilia. Why is it called memorabilia? Because it brings back a memory, It brings back a memory of that experience that you had. You bring that cap. Every time you look at that cap, you're like, oh, you remember when we went to Niagara Falls, right? You remember that great experience and you bring it back. You relive that experience. This may shock you. But the Jewish people are standing at Mount Sinai and they're like, where's the gift shop? we got to buy a souvenir. we got to have something so that in 3,330 years, when the Jewish people are going to be in Houston, Texas, they're going to need something to remind them of that experience that we had at Mount Sinai. What are we going to do? Can't buy a shot glass? Can't believe Mount Sinai didn't have a gift shop. You know what God says? I'm going to give you 613 souvenirs. Every mitzvah in the Torah is a souvenir that brings us back to the to the experience that the Jewish people had at Mount Sinai. When a person puts on tefillin, you know what that reminder is? I'm God who took you out of Egypt and gave you a Torah and gave you a commandment. When someone has a mezuzah on their door, you know what it says in that mezuzah? I am the God who took you out of Egypt and gave you a Torah. And when someone has Shabbos, do you know what we say? Every mitzvah that we have, every single mitzvah that we have is a souvenir to bring us back to that clarity, to that revelation that we had at Mount Sinai. To bring us that same light that we had. So let's read part of that song again. If God had only brought us to Mount Sinai and given us that revelation, and didn't give us the Torah, Dayenu would be enough. Do you know why? Now we know why. Because the souvenir is the reminder. The souvenir is not the purpose of your vacation. The purpose is not so that you have a t-shirt. The purpose is not so you have that mug or that baseball cap. The purpose is the experience that you experienced. But you don't want to forget that experience. That's what this is about. The Jewish people don't want to forget it. That's why we have a Torah. And the more we experience that reality through the observance of the mitzvahs, of every single commandment, the more alive our relationship with God becomes. It becomes more and more alive. And that's what we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to bring about that every single day I have a clarity. It's it's right there in front of me. I can see the relationship that I have with God. I can see God's miracles through everything that happens. I don't need to worry anymore. Because I have that clarity. And the mitzvahs of the Torah, the 613 commandments in the Torah, are 613 souvenirs that every time I observe the mitzvah properly, I'm able to bring back and relive that experience. So the purpose of going to Mount Sinai was not to get the Torah. The purpose of going to Mount Sinai was to get the revelation, to get that clarity. That's what we're trying to relive here at the Seder. We're trying to relive that that experience. That unbelievable, we're standing at Mount Sinai. Imagine you're standing at the foot of Mount Sinai. Relive that experience. And by the way, from the Seder night, it's only 50 days away where we're actually at Mount Sinai receiving the Torah in the holiday of Shavuot. And we learn all night for that same reason. Because we want to relive that experience. We want to relive that experience. And I want you to know something that it is possible to sit and learn torah if one focuses and is without interruptions without interruptions turn off your radio and your television and your internet and turn off everything and to sit and study torah it is possible to feel that same revelation at mount sinai that clarity you can feel it but it has to be Consistent learning, uninterrupted, no phone calls, nothing. Because you get more; the more time you spend in it, the more immersed you become, the the greater the clarity. So now we go to the most important part of the seder, and that is that every person, Rabbi Gamliel used to say, anyone who has not explained these three things on Pesach has not fulfilled the mitzvah of the Seder. And that is Pesach, Matzah, and Moror. And actually, if you'd like, I can give you homework. Pesach has a paragraph that explains it, Matzah has a paragraph that explains it, and Moror has a paragraph that explains it. It's important for us to know what the mitzvah of Pesach is. What the mitzvah of the Seder is. And when we reaffirm these these statements, by me, by the way, even my children, they usually make it a little bit past here, but they're not always reading along with me because they're little kids, some of them, right? So (laughs) some of them are little. I always make sure I sit with them and I say, Pesach, and they repeat after me, Pesach. Matzah, moro, right? We try to talk about it a little bit so that they can get an understanding. This is not just an ordinary night where we have, you know, oh, it's Thanksgiving. Let's bring out the china. No, right? no, 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 no. This is Pesach. This is royalty. Thanksgiving we have every week on Shabbos. Pesach is even more more, more unique. And then we, we conclude this part of the Seder, of the Magid, with giving praise and thanks to God. We said Kiddush at the beginning, and now we're going to say a second Kiddush. We're going to have the second cup of wine at this point. And again, what do we do now? We wash our hands again. Why do we wash our hands? Of course, to clean our hands. Well, we cleaned our hands early. It's not like we ran a marathon since. Again, we have to wash ourselves off, wash our hands off from the thoughts of arrogance. I've got it all. I understand it all. We're ready to now eat the matzah. We've got to prepare ourselves. We wash our hands to sanctify ourselves, to be ready to eat like we do every day. We're going to do that again here. We say the blessing of And then we say two blessings. We take out the matzah and we say two blessings on the matzah. First is And then the second blessing of the mitzvah, thanking God for the mitzvah of eating matzah. Now when we eat the matzah it's not a time to talk. We eat the matzah with concentration. We eat the matzah, we focus, realize what it is that we're doing, and until you're not finished, there's a certain measurement of how much matzah you're supposed to eat. Until you're not finished, that that measurement of matzah, you can find them in most tagados. Will tell you, will have a, a uh, an exact amount, how many ounces or how much uh, measurement of the matzah you should eat. Once you eat that portion of matzah, then you can talk. The next thing you do, you know what? We're going to stop here. We're already an hour and twenty minutes in. Um, we're going to stop here. But next week, God willing, if I have the opportunity, I will love to continue talking about the rest of the Seder. We're about uh, about halfway through the Seder, right? We didn't go again. We didn't read all the details of every single verse and every single chapter of the of the telling the tale of the Exodus. But it's very important for us, if you have the opportunity to read through it, to learn through it, to study it, to research it, it'll do tremendous, tremendous uh, uh, value to your Seder respectively. Each and every one of you, I'm sure, will have the most incredible Seder um, prepared, spend some time, because we're not done yet. And it's, it's not just a, like, let's shoot some fireworks and like, yeah, thank you, happy birthday, America. That's not the goal. The goal is to really live It's to live that exodus because I will tell you something. Those of you who have been to my muster class, you've heard this before. It's very clear. You're not allowed to jump. You're not allowed. You have to take small steps. But to every rule, there's an exception. The exception to that rule is Seder night. Passover overnight is the only time you can jump. And you can jump from the lowest levels to the highest levels. Lowest levels to the highest levels in one night. But it requires preparation. So my dear friends, have a magnificent week ahead. Thank you so much, Rabbi Yaakov, for giving me this opportunity. Thank you very much, Rod, for your incredible leadership and for your incredible work in putting this together. If you have any questions, I'm happy to take them all. Uh, God willing, I'll have this on the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. I'll have this recording on uh, so that all of you uh, can review it. You can share it with friends, hopefully. And hopefully we can uh, give as many people the opportunity to learn more about this Seder so that they can have an enriched experience as well. So thank you all very, very much. If there are any questions, I'll stick around for questions. You're welcome to unmute your microphones. Okay, Joe I, have and Harvey. I have a question. I thought it would be interesting for you to share that there's a difference on the Seder plate between the rabbinic symbolism and the halakhic symbolism of the upper part of the Seder plate and the lower part. Okay, so that's a very, very good point. Thank you, Dr. Rosenstock. Doctor, it's so great to see you. So, see we, we, you. you. Uh, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. So we have like this. there are, We mentioned that there are six parts of the Seder plate. So when we construct the Seder plate, it, it was always to me a mystery of how, like the different customs of how the Seder plate is organized. And I never understood uh, till this year exactly the meaning behind it. I shared it in a different class, and thank you, Dr. Rosenstock, for bringing it to my attention here uh, to, to share it here as well. So let me let me quickly talk about this, okay? The shank bone it represents one of the offerings, and that offering was an offering of kindness. So we take that offering, we take that shank bone, and we put it on the top right of our Seder plate, The shank bone always goes on the top right. Now the egg, the hard-boiled egg or roasted egg, uh, is representing a different offering, which is an offering of judgment. So we put that on the left. We know the right is always kindness. The left is always judgment. So we take that and we put it opposite the kindness on the top left of our Seder plate. Then we take the mora, the bitter herbs. Now these three are the biblical uh, commandments. And we put that in the middle. So we have like a triangle. We have a triangle at the top of our Seder plate. We have the shank bone on the top right, the egg on the top left, and the bitter herbs in the middle. Then on the lower, we have a lower triangle. And the lower triangle on the top right of it, which is beneath the marrow, beneath the bitter herbs to the right of it, and beneath the shank bone, is the charosis. What is the charosis? Charosis is... A ground-up fruit, with nuts, with with ground nuts, with wine and cinnamon, and the reason we have this mixture for harosis is because this reminds us of the cement and the, or the you know the 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 hard work that the Jewish people worked uh, in in uh, in Egypt, the slavery. And what we do is we dip in the bitter herbs into that charosas, into that mixture. And that's, again, this is, a, this is something that needs to be prepared before the holiday, but also something that we place on the bottom right of the Seder plate, beneath the shank bone, and um, to the southeast of the mora. Then you have the karpas, which you put on the left side, which is either uh, a potato or any type of, uh, or some people use radishes, but not bitter radishes. And you put that on the left, bottom left of the Seder plate. And then in the bottom center of the Seder plate, you have the chazeres, which is a leafy vegetable that is not bitter either. Uh, There are different types of, now, if you construct it together, if you write it down on a sheet of paper, this is also reflective of the spherot, of the Kabbalistic Sefirot. Um, we have the Pesach, the Matzah, the Moro, which is the Chachma, Bina, and Dat. We have the Kindness, the gevurah the Chesed, the gevurah the Teferis, the Netzach, the Hod, and the Yesod, all reflective inside the Seder plate. So um, there's much more to talk about it, uh, but that's just an overall summary. So thank you, Dr. Rosenstock.